0: welcome to working man's pod i'm dave today we are talking about october 31st 1971 a show that was partially released previously as dick's picks volume two all the way back to volume two it's not often that we talk about dick's picks on this program i think this is only the second time we've touched on a dick's picks um but i pivoted to a pleasant surprise show for reasons that i'm going to talk about in the days between so let's jump right in there were days, there were days, there were days. so the postal service has let us down once again and it's not just the founders of working man's pod our guest for dave's picks volume 48 zach cropper from rock talk with dr cropper does not have his copy either uh so i think it's because i just recently moved the cds probably got lost in like the hold mail and mail forwarding transfer but nobody in our group has received their cds yet of dave's picks 48 so instead of delaying an episode and having no content what i wanted to do was talk about 1971 because i've been listening to some fall 71 shows to prepare for the arrival of dave's Picks volume 48 wanted to talk about a shorter show keep it nice and tight and then i also wanted to talk about a show that people knew about i wanted to i didn't want to do another found show like we did for our last 1988 show with jonathan from broke down podcast please check it out if you're interested and then dave's picks 48 is from a you know previously unreleased show so i didn't want complete unknowns for a show to to fill the gap in between enter dick's picks volume two it's it's perfect it's just the second set from october 31st 1971. it's six songs and it's very well known and very highly regarded so it was a perfect blend of exactly what i was looking for in a show to tide me over until our review of dave's picks volume 48. since we are about to break down a show from november of 1971 and that will be a longer episode this episode is not going to have a deep dive into 1971 Uh, please look for that in the forthcoming review of dave's picks 48 we will talk about the date october 31st and we will talk about the venue because we've never talked about the capitol theater at ohio before but for a a closer look at like what's going on in the world in 1971 i just have to tease it for you guys to wait until the episode about dave's picks 48 with zach cropper in addition i don't want to dive too deep into the background of this show or just like the choice to put in dick's picks or, or whatever because there's already a podcast about all the dick's Picks shows so if you've never heard of 36 from the vault please i encourage you to go check that out for a deeper dive into this show and all the other dick's Picks series if you are fans of those And finally, unlike Dave's Picks, Dick's Picks are available on streaming service. So if you don't know about this show, I would encourage you to pause here and go check it out on whatever service you're listening to us. I would say to go and take an hour of your time to go listen to Dick's Picks too. It's certainly worth your time. It's spectacular. And it will help give you a frame of reference when I'm giving my thoughts and opinions on the on the music, so let's do it. Let's get on with the show. Let's go. October thirty first, nineteen seventy one, at the Capitol Theater in Columbus, Ohio. 1971 is a huge transition year for the dead. Again, we're going to dive into it more in a couple weeks in our next episode coming out. But the the two big things I want to point your attention to are that Mickey left the band in February 71. So this is One Drummer Dead, and the, the early stages of One Drummer Dead. And then Keith joined the band in September of 71. So this is real early stages of... Keith in tow when listening to fall 71 as a whole like I've been doing for the last couple weeks it's similar to Europe 72 in that the set lists are all structured nearly the same there's some variation here and there but as a whole you can tell that they're trying to keep it a little simpler to get Keith kind of ramped up to speed the con of that is there's not a lot of variety but the big pro of that is that the band is like locked up in sync and even with a new member in tow they are really tight on most nights, including this night, October 31st, 71 because they're in a routine of, of playing mostly the same songs every night, uh, there's, there's still a good variation and some good spins that The Dead put on uh, particularly tonight that we'll talk about in a little bit but that is a i think of it as a pro when the set lists are all like that because the band gets to lock in but we'll dive more into the the pros and cons and the consequences of that uh, in the next episode october 31st is a date i don't believe we've talked about before on this show some birthdays on halloween rob schneider director peter jackson nick saban roll tide and Vanilla Ice. Sad Deaths on October 31st, Harry Houdini, and then Sean Connery in 2020. The Grateful Dead played 12 shows by my count in their tenure on on Halloween, 12 Halloween shows. They did it every year from 1967 to this show in 71. And then they played Halloween in 79 and 1980 83 through 85 so those three years and then 1990 and 1991 so 12 shows in their in their 30-year tender that's a a pretty good percentage for for shows on halloween and then where they were playing this show the ohio theater in columbus ohio or as it is known there the official theater of the state of ohio right in downtown columbus the theater holds just under three thousand people, so it's an it's an intimate concert hall, and it's it's very very beautiful when you look at look it up today. I've never been, but um, but the architecture and the layout of the theater, I mean, it looks looks gorgeous. Even though the the meat of the show and the official release of the show is in set two, I still do want to take a moment to talk about set one. The Dead opened with Bertha. Then Me and My Uncle, Deal, Playing in the Band, Loser, El Paso, Tennessee Jed, Jack Straw, Big Railroad Blues, Brown Eyed Women, Mexicali Blues, Casey Jones, and then Cumberland Blues, and One More Saturday Night to close that one. A 14-song first set. And... Good playing throughout, but I do want to talk about two segments in this first set. The first is the 3-4-5, the, the deal playing in the band, and then loser. Uh, if you like a slow deal, as in a slow in tempo, this deal is probably for you. It, despite being slow, it it rocks pretty hard. Um, you don't need to be flying at a fast tempo to to rock out. And that's what they deliver here. And the plan is kind of the same way. It's not as slow in tempo, but it's not as as fast as they would be busting out in a couple months in Europe seventy two. It also has like a a little bit of a a country twang to it. There was that vibe uh, with the plan as well. So I thought that was interesting. And then the loser to wrap up that little suite was very dramatic, and I it's a song that i enjoy but i really enjoyed this version but i think the standout of set one what came later was the two songs set to to close it the cumberland blues and then the one more saturday night Phil and Bobby rhythm in this Cumberland is just perfect. I mean, there's they can do no wrong. And then what Jerry's adding to the mix on top of it is, you know, re- really made this Cumberland pop. Uh, it's the number thirty Cumberland on Heady version, and for good reason. It it rocks hard, and it goes into one more Saturday night. And right before it does, Phil says. It's a new one designed to rock you all the way out to the parking lot. Uh, it is a new one. This is only the ninth ever performance of One More Saturday Night, uh, and it's a good one. It rocks you out to the parking lot. They deliver on their promise, and I thought that this combo to end set one, in uh, a long set one, 14 songs, was excellent. But why we're all here, and I think why this show has official release status Is the six song suite of set two? Set two opens with a 23 minute Dark Star into Sugar Magnolia, into Saint Stephen, and then into a trifecta of a Not Fade Away, going down the road feeling bad, and then back into the Not Fade Away reprise. The six songs, I think, come in at like just under an hour, something like 58 minutes. And the majority of that is this wonderful, beautiful dark star that just hypnotizes and pulls you in from the first minute. is the melodic transfixing opening segment that features a lot of Jerry and even more of Phil, lifting you off into space. And and they keep that like sweet, melodic playing going right up until about the 7 minute mark, and then they build into something big, and then they wind it back down for the first verse. And then they move into the middle suite where everyone starts playing strong Uh, it's it's played with conviction they know where they want you to go and they are they're not exploring anywhere in the early half in the first half of the song they are firmly guiding you to your destination where they want you to be and where they want you to be is a tighten up jam at about the 13 and a half minute mark, you arrive at the Tighten Up Jam segment. And it's it's very notable and very important that we talk about that with this Dark Star. What is the Tighten Up Jam? So this is from deadessays.blogspot.com, which I will post in the show notes, breaking down all the early thematic jams that the Dead wove in and out of their playing uh, in their early days. The tighten-up jam was a very common Latin-style jam theme in 1970. It's often called a proto-eyes jam, since Weir plays two repeating jazzy chords that are rhythmically similar to the opening of Eyes of the World. But they were commonly thought to be from Archie, Bell, and the Drell's 1968 tune. This has been debated, though. Some people have pointed out that there's also a similarity to the intro of Chicago's 1969 song, Beginnings, And it turns out there's an even stronger resemblance to the 1968 Young Holt Unlimited tune, Soulful Strut, which has similar chords and piano melody. So this Tighten Up Jam is found in some Dark Stars and also, and I think more often, in some Dancing in the Streets, 1969 and 1970. The reason that this one is so notable and so important to talk about is, this is the only one in 1971 The only time that this jam was featured in any song in 1971 was here, in 1031. And it's the last tighten-up jam the band played. So this playing, this was it. So they said goodbye to, to this jam here. wonderful playing nothing more to add to it other than i'm ready to pin this as my my favorite dark star of the keith era and yes i know it's only about a month into the keith era but that's that's how much i enjoyed listening to this dark star everything about it is is so beautiful and wonderful and it is one of the more melodic ones if you like one of the more spacey ones hey that's fine with me uh, but this one from the 70s, just everything about it and that that really, really energetic and upbeat tighten-up jam, just re- I really enjoyed listening to it. It is the number five Dark Star and Heady version. Uh, it's it's excellent, and I encourage you to listen to all 23 minutes, not just the, the minutes that I've cut in here. Out of Dark Star, they go right into Sugar Magnolia. You can tell at the very end of Dark Star that Bobby is is ready and he wants to dive in. Uh, Jerry and Phil aren't quite ready yet. And then after a couple measures of Bobby like playing the first note of Sugar Magnolia and being like, guys, it's it's time to move on. Uh, Keith picks up on that and then Keith goes and then the band is ready to go. And when they go in, they go in hot. It's a good Sugar Magnolia. You can tell that Keith is still learning the ropes a little bit. He's not really deviating from the basic rhythm on the piano, but that that's okay because Phil has just taken over and he's just bouncing all around the fretboard and, and showing off, really. And shout out to Billy because the drumming here is perfect. This instance here on Halloween 71 is the second time that the band did Dark Star into Sugar Magnolia. And it's a combo that they would do nine times. Uh, the next time they did it was April 8th, 72 at the Wembley Empire Pool on the second night of Europe 72, and that magical second set. Um, and it's a, a pairing that they did throughout Europe 72, and then that was it. So um, something this Dark Star-Sugar Magnolia combo kind of anchors you in in an era of right before and then during Europe 72. Something that put a smile on my face was that the Sugar Mag is the number five Sugar Magnolia on Heady Version. So it's right. It's Dark Star into Sugar Mag, and they're both number five. Perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Out of Sugar Magnolia, they go into St. Stephen, and they go into the last St. Stephen for five years. We talked about the 1976 revival of St. Stephen on this show a long time ago um, and the the only time that WP has ever covered 1976 so for me it was it was very cool to kind of bookend that here with the you know we got the revival and the comeback and now we've got the the last version that caused that gap and this is a little controversial to say about this song because it's a song that I enjoy it's a song that a lot of people enjoy I think this is the low point of the second set And that's not a knock on St. Stephen whatsoever. It's a testament to the monster Dark Star Sugar Mags before it and the incredible jam suite we're about to come into of Not Fade Away going down the road feeling bad back into Not Fade Away reprise. When the three-minute mark hits of the Not Fade Away, you can kind of tell that there's like a special energy on the stage and that some special moments of music are coming. There's just something about the way that jerry is you know spinning the notes out of his guitar and the way that billy and bob and phil are working together that really kind of foreshadows what's to come which is some excellent playing the jam that the band ascends to around the six minute mark is truly spectacular jam and you you don't want it to stop because it sounds so good but then you blink and all of a sudden bob has guided you out of the the hot portion of not fade away and into the main chords of, of going down the road feeling bad it's subtle at first and then boom it's undeniable which it's just really impressive playing by bobby what's more impressive is these songs that are woven in and out of this going down the road feeling bad jam so they're playing what i'll call the going down the road feeling bad proper jam for the first five to six minutes and they're all over it they're playing it really well but then as it starts to go on and the song dips and comes back when it comes back it features some other songs disguised under going down the road feeling bad the first one, I think, is the We Bid You Good Night jam. In this slowed down portion around the seven-minute mark, kind of, te- Jerry is kind of teasing Bid You Good Night with what he's doing. And then Jerry starts to go back into going down the road feeling bad, and Bob starts to tease what I think is cold rain and snow under Jerry's plane of going down the road feeling bad. And that combo is really, really neat. And then it's it's blatantly obvious, but a, a little bit of, well, well, a lot of bit of China Cat playing bleeds in to the jam, both from Jerry and Bobby. And it's really neat to hear the rest of the band stay in going down the road feeling bad, but hear the guitarists kind of, sprinkle you with some little China Cat licks. From one to the other to the other and then back into going down the road feeling bad and then right back into not fade away. It's it's like the best kind of whiplash. It's almost as if they got ADHD up on stage and they, they weren't sure which to play, so they just played them all. Uh my theory is that look, it's it's a Halloween show, so we're gonna dress these songs up in costume, right? We're gonna dress up cold rain and snow and China Cat and bid you goodnight and where where are we gonna hide them well, we instead of hiding them throughout, they hid them all and going down the road feeling bad a treat for sure. It's the number two going down the road feeling bad on heady version, and i it's definitely the most unique because of all those nested jams in there, and it was a it was an awesome time to listen to and it and then after you kind of have that whiplash where you're going back and forth between like different dead songs coming at you left and right it's actually really reassuring to hear billy pop that rhythm back for the not fade away drum part and feel the band go back into that that familiar theme and like latch onto one thing so excellent job by the dead to like go out and experiment and sprinkle in other songs and then guide you back in and and lock it down in, in one excellent piece of music. I loved Bob screaming in the reprise and then the spirited, powerful ending to an awesome suite of music. Earns this Not Fade Away as the number six Not Fade Away Unheady version. Look, is it an official release? Yes. Does that sway the numbers to be higher? I'm sure. But this second set deserves all the love that's coming to it. It's just some excellent, excellent playing from start to finish. The band did encore with Johnny Be Good that night. That is not part of the official release. The official release is just the second set on on one CD, making it the shortest Dick's Picks or Dave's Picks uh, ever released. Just one CD of six songs and, and one second set that's for the ages. I mean, this is this is truly one of the great set two suites out there. And that's it. That's all to talk about from October 31st, 71. I, I said it a lot in the beginning of the show, but if you want more on 71, just a little bit of patience. We will be back in a couple weeks with Zach Cropper to help us break down November 20th 1971 until then we will do what the dead hid and they're going down the road feeling bad jam and we will bid you, good night. And I'll bid you good night good night That's it, that's it. (laughs) You got it.